podcast is like a labyrinth. And we are the gods of that labyrinth. The pod people. I'm Matisse Van Rossum. I'm in hell. Help me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the chatter, also known as the podcasting son of bite, Ben Sheets. (laughs) And I'm Cleveland Mosier, and that gave me great pain. Which is pleasure. (laughs) Which is pain? Which is pleasure again. But maybe also pain. Hi. Well, you've been waiting, but don't be in too much of a rush, because we have eternity to experience this podcast. (laughs) The year of the Squeakle continues. 2022, we're back in the game, and tonight we're talking about Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, which is my pick. We talked about the original Clive Barker Hellraiser back in... 2019, I think. It's been like three years since we've done a Hellraiser. Uh, This movie came out in 1988, three years after the original. Uh, It has some returning characters. Ashley Lawrence back as Kirstie. Claire Higgins back as Julia, of course. The iconic, the legendary Doug Bradley back as Pinhead. Uh, And it is a direct continuation of the first Hellraiser. Which makes much more sense than what I thought. See, I was confused as to why we were listening to an album for the podcast. You know, Bound 2. That's a song. (laughs) Whatever. You know, and uh, yeah, here we are. (laughs) Does that give you pain or pleasure? Yes. (laughs) What's the difference? Definitely not pleasure. Only pain on that one. Only pain. Um, Well, this movie starts with an extended recap of the first, just in case we forgot. No, it starts with a recap of the last five minutes of the first. (laughs) But at the exact last five minutes. The the recap. We don't don't get the homeless dragon. The full recap of the first (laughs) comes later. We get two recaps in this movie. It's true. I kind of needed both of them being real, though. (laughs) I was glad to have them. This is kind of a special sequel to me because it's the rare instance where I think a sequel just being more of the first one is a good thing. Yeah. Because this is just more Hellraiser. It's messier. It's... uh, A little more incoherent. It's a little more incoherent, but a lot of the flaws of this movie, it's definitely far from perfect film, but I find a lot of the flaws add to its charm in really special ways, because it's also like way gorier they up the effects to 11 and it's just more bullshit yeah good bullshit yeah it it reminds me of uh like og doom 2 hell on earth you know it's a lot more hell (laughs) hell on earth is actually the subtitle of hellraiser 3 yeah you're getting a little ahead of yourself (laughs) (laughs) damn how is that one um worse but I fun, mean, it can't be. Yeah, but also fun. There's a a DVD spinning set. Oh, is that that one? Remember oh, yeah. correctly. Oh, I've heard of this one. It's Fire a simulation. CD, CDs out of its face. Yeah. No, not- the simulation one is Hellraiser Eight: Hellworld. Oh, <laughs> where they go into the computer. I think that's the last Doug Bradley Hellraiser. 
Hellraiser three, they literally bring the hell dimension to Earth, and there's a. It's from the nineties, so there's a Cenobite that shoots CDs out of its face. It's pretty great because um, you know staying current. But we're not here to talk about Hellraiser three. We're here to talk about Hellraiser two, uh, and they don't bring hell to Earth. First, they got to go to hell. Well, they they kind of bring it to Earth. They bring well, the gate to Earth, and then they go through the gate. It, the it almost flips the conceit of the first one, right? Because, like, in the first one, they're bringing hell to Earth. You know, the Cenobites to Yeah, they Earth. bring the Cenobites to the human realm. And in the, in the second one, you know, in this one, they they bring the humans to, to hell. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it gives so much more room for creativity. Yes, this movie really shines in the the practical effects and the 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 matte paintings mm-hmm. and the fantasy of hell world mm-hmm. yeah about 30 to 40 minutes in the movie just kind of stops having like any sort of coherent narrative and sort of just becomes a literal carnival ride yeah. f- where they're just going from one like weird kooky set piece to the next um you know while encountering the cenobites and some monsters before that you know there's there's some some story about Kirsty, you know, waking up at the asylum and trying to tell people that, you know, uh, the, the Cenobites killed her whole family. And then there's like an evil doc, the most evil, comically evil doctor uh, ever who's like taking care of her. But then it's revealed that he has been uh, trying to get to the hell dimension for like ever. He has three lament configurations in his house and he has all of these notes and pictures and stuff. Um, I complain on the podcast a lot about how often sequels or requels or whatever spinoffs do the more is better thing and they get it wrong. This gets it right. This is all, yeah. almost exclusively more is better in, in fun ways. Yeah. Once they, they travel to the hell dimension, like about a third of the way into the film, I remember saying, man, I hope they hear the rest of the movie. And then you said they are. And I was like, fuck yep. yeah. And I just kind of like buckled up and just had an amazing ride yeah. for the rest of the film. And I was having a great time for that, too. So, yeah, it takes a bit to get going. I will say, like, there's a good half an hour of kind of asylum I, character it building. It does, yeah. but you know what? Less than the first, I think. What I'll say yeah. is it, it takes less than the first, but the buildup of the first is better. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a little smarter and and better handled. I mean, the first is a is a pretty, uh, in most ways, literal interpretation of Clive Barker's short story. It's like line for line. That is, know? of course, because Clive Barker wrote and directed the yeah. film as well. So he was able to just sort of adapt his material almost one for one. This one, Clive Barker not really involved. Um, what's the name of the director of this one? Uh, uh, Tony Randall. Tony Randall, Yeah. Sort of like the 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 tight little self-contained narrative of the first one is sacrificed in favor of just like wilder set pieces, and I think it's okay. I think that's fine. I think it's great. I fully approve. The, yeah. the first movie is still there. Like, go watch it for that again if you yeah. want. They have just cool. enough narrative in this one to give passage to the uh, 
the set pieces that yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, it's got a lot more yeah. textual grip than Eraserhead. There's plenty of narrative. Like, you can track the whole thing and you can explain. And frankly, too, any of the weird esoteric, like, cuts and stuff in this can all be explained away as, like, hell surrealism. They're in hell, so things are surreal. So time isn't really, you know, congruous. And oh, yeah. Well, there they, you go. Like, they lean into that pretty heavily. And I love it. I love it. Is it, is it, is it campy? Yeah. Is it fun? Fuck yeah, it is. Who cares? Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. Well, yeah, it. camp camp is something that this movie has in spades. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It does have uh, quite a few uh, laugh out loud moments, at least for me, uh, especially with uh, the the doctor monster later at the end. Uh, oh, so I wouldn't change a damn thing, though. But also, like, it's got it. It does, uh, especially before they get into to hell it does have some like i think pretty unsettling like scenes uh like when julia comes back to life mm-hmm. the doctor has like the mattress that she died on and he like brings in one of the patients cuz he just has a basement a, a basement full of mental patients that yeah. he can just experiment on and it, that patient is like uh he's hallucinating that he's like covered in bugs yeah like and, maggots maggots and worms and shit and so the doctor like sets him down on the mattress and just gives him uh, a straight razor and he just like for like a good five minutes yeah yeah, just like lies there like cutting and it feels like that long i love how it cuts back and forth between what he sees and reality where we like see all of the bugs and worms and shit crawling in and out of his skin and him like trying to cut them out with the razor and then it'll cut to you know him just tearing up his flesh with nothing there that goes on for fucking ever and then similar to the first hellraiser now julia comes she erupts up out of the the mattress yeah the whole julia rebuilding thing felt kind of like a speed run of the first film Mm. yeah you know we'd seen it before so like it works they gotta they gotta you know squeeze it into a a shorter amount of time because like Mm -hmm. yeah we we understand how how the 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 magic works yeah if they'd taken the same amount of time with it it would have been like it would have felt like too much of a retread instead it's like it's a thematic thing they're coming back to it but we we, the only thing i do i do miss is we don't get the whole skeleton building bit yeah but like well but what we do get is drawn out in kind of an interesting way. Cause in the first one, like we don't really see too much, like what Frank does to the people that Julia brings him, yeah, you know, aftermath. he just sees like the aftermath that he's like got more skin or flesh or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in this one, like when she comes out of the mattress, like that scene is so drawn out of her, like weakly crawling across the floor after the mental patient who's like, all cut up and you know like trying to hold him down so she can like stick her hand in the back of his head and suck up all of his delicious life juices so the added tension that scene is great also because we have Mm -hmm. uh randall was that his name Kyle. Kyle. Babe, same thing. Uh, we have Kyle <laughs> in there. Uh, yeah, Kyle, uh, apologies Randall, to our Kyle and Randall listeners. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we have we have uh, uh, Crandall like hiding behind the uh, the the curtain because he get, he goes in there first and makes the discovery. Oh yeah. shit! My boss is a fucking creep. Uh, a, a sex Kirstie cult. Kirsty was telling the truth. Creep. Yeah, Kirsty Kirst, yeah. was right. And uh, and then ooh, the, here he comes. So he has to hide behind the curtain, and he witnesses all of this. So we get to see this like from another character's perspective, and uh, there's some neat added tension because as the the corpse and uh, as Julie and the inmate 
whatever you call them, uh, are writhing around on the floor, the inmate is trying to get to the window and let in light, you know, or escape mm-hmm. or something. And that's where Kringus is hiding. And so, like, you know, he almost grabs the curtain before Julie pulls almost, him away. Almost yeah. reveals his yeah. presence. Yeah. yeah, which is fun. I, I like that bit of tension. And it, it is fun that she, uh, when the the patient or whatever is is on the the bed i I do love how julie like comes up and like grabs him in a rear naked choke yeah it's like we we, we now now we've established that julie has really good ground game yeah and that's important well i don't know he does sort of wriggle away from her so maybe her her ground ground needs a little bit of work yeah Yeah. maybe she needs to work on her ground game i love i love after she kills him too how like the evil doctor is standing there and she's like sort of writhing around on the floor and he just sort of like kicks the mattress towards her and we just get like this really agonized like her sort of like crawling towards the mattress and just pulling herself up onto it and it's so just like covered in slime and gore and goo and it's like we just get these really nice close-ups of her just like sort of weakly flopping up onto the mattress it's really nasty you gotta give her credit for her physicality like when she's being wrapped in bandages bound to if you will uh and she is uh uh, crawling in that sequence you do you buy it you you believe that like she is a person who doesn't have skin like it feels you, painful it yeah. does like yeah. her her physicality like it feels pained also the effects on point the bodysuit looks fucking great yeah. yeah i mean if you got rid of the slime it'd probably feel a little bit like a sentai kind of rubber suit but like the sure, slime I mean, is everything but, yeah the slime is everything like, slime is all praise to the um, slime i mean yeah. that's like eight that's just like 80 percent of the creature effects work in practical effects is just covering everything with goo. yeah that's that's um, 80s horror the, the wetter the wetter you make it the scarier better. it is i agree yeah. look um, at the thing look at any of them the thing with julia that uh makes it even creepier i think for me is kind of the sexuality between the doctor and yep. julia you know after that scene uh you know she's just hanging out in his house she puts on his miami kingpin his, get up. Yeah, his white suit. <laughs> yeah. well, I love that. Yeah, and then uh, they start making out, and he's, like, feeling up her uh, moist ass. Yeah, this and... movie is not any less horny than the first Hellraiser. It might be hornier. It's hard to say. I think... Hard to say. Yeah, like, the first Hellraiser has, like, the one bit. Oh, it has, like, the sex scene in it, in multiple, with Frank and Julia. And yeah. it's got, yeah. like, the kind of, like, creepy, like, incest stuff with Frank, you know, like, yeah. and, uh, yeah. well, and the whole conceit of Julia kind of luring in Johns to yeah. have but feed and, to Frank. Yeah, and, like, he's, like, dresses her dad, and he's, like, come to daddy, you know, and shit. And it's just partic- it's just powerfully skeezy. There's we, less of that in this yeah. one. There is, but we still get, like, a full-on scene still, of it. Th- yeah, because, of course, once Kirsty's in hell, she finds Frank. You got to. You got to bring back Frank. He was the one, you know, she while she's in the asylum, she she sees a a skinless man against the wall and he just writes on the wall. uh, I'm in hell. Help me. Which has become a really excellent meme that I love to use. (laughs) Um, But she thinks it's her dad. He thinks, oh, my dad is trapped in hell. And, you know, then once she gets to hell, she realizes that it was actually Frank. Um, Which is fine because that's Frank did that in the first movie in reverse. Yeah, totally. Like he he wears her father's skin, and so here he's he's disguising himself as her father out of his skin. Very fun, great idea. I, I like that a lot. But also, it implies yeah. that you know, since it was Frank and not her dad, maybe her dad's not in hell. Yeah, maybe he's in Who heaven. Knows? 
Maybe he's all right. I like. Well, see, he, one of the he creepy, never deserved. He never deserved what happened to him. He didn't deserve what happened to him. But I think one of the like legitimately like existentially scary things about Hellraiser is that the core implication of it is that like innocent people go like accidentally end up in hell all the time, which is fucking spooky to me. Like that idea of there being like, yeah, hell is real, and also sometimes they just get the paperwork wrong, and you could just be fucked for eternity. That's that's pretty spooky. That's pretty spooky to me. Yeah, yeah man, and sometimes you're just hanging out. You find a fucking puzzle box and you just solve that shit. And then, oops, you're in hell. You know, what? that brings up a good point. Actually, let's let's get to this. It is one of my favorite lines in the movie, but it does kind of open up a bit of a, loop, a plot hole. Sure. Um, uh, of which I did notice a couple in this film. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, first off, narrative. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's understandable. Some sl- uh, slimy narrative even, um, but in a good way. In the mental institution, there is a young blonde girl who loves solving puzzles and we've got her solving one of those like simple woodblock puzzles which is kind of fun because it's sort of like a lament, it's like a baby's lament configuration mm-hmm. she's doing other like jigsaw puzzles and stuff she loves a puzzle she loves puzzles. doesn't yeah. speak th- that whole deal you- you've seen it before and the evil doctor gives her the cube after julia's been brought back so that she can solve it and bring bring forth the cenobites without directly bringing forth the cenobites himself and we get this fucking awesome sequence where the Cenobites arrive. He's got hearts in jars in that room, and there they start beating again, um, uh, and then exploding, and there's glass flying everywhere, and the Cenobites show up, and the female Cenobite, who I believe she is just titled that, right? Like, she doesn't have a name. Yeah. Um, like She's the only unnamed one. She's just female Cenobite. Which you I guess is a name, but mm, come on. Pinhead. The Chatterer, Butterball, and then female and Cenobite. And then Gender, yeah, we've just, and then just gendered Cenobite, great. Anyway, we can but, call her Thrussy. Yeah, Thrussy, because she, she got the Thrussy, it's true. <laughs> she got um, the OG Thrussy. That's right. She's like reaching for the girl, and uh, Pinhead says, uh, oh fuck, what is it? It's the hand, it, it is not the desire. that. Or, it's not the act that that draws us, but the desire. Yeah, but he says like, it's it is not hands. I think is what he says that summons us. It is the desire, which is cool. Cause it's like, yeah, hands can solve the cube, but it's the desire to like be all fucked with and shit by the Cenobites. And I'm actually just kind of quickly realizing it's not a really a plot hole, but, um, <laughs> no, it's uh, the, you, the, both are necessary in order to call the Cenobites. You have to solve the puzzle box, but you also have to want to solve the, the puzzle, puzzle box. box. You want, you want those Cenobites. So, yeah. You have to, you have to want to, to experience the desires. So in this case, Tiffany is solving the box, but the doctor is still there hiding behind the wanting. The, yeah. And wanting. So the, des- so she is the, is the hands is the act, but he is the desire. So here's my question with a, with a brief bit of thought. I don't, I don't necessarily think this is a, a, a plot hole, but I do think it raises some interesting questions. And that is, does, Kirsty have the desire. Actually, we don't know. That's part of the thing. Because, like, in the first oh, one, she well, opens the box, and the Cenobite's like, oh, yeah, no, you want to come. And she's like, no, I don't. And they're like, oh, yes, you do. And now here, he's kind of turning that around. And he's saying, like, nope, that's just hands. So wouldn't she have just been hands? Unless there is some desire somewhere within her. I think the implication is there's some part of her that kind of wants to yeah. look for her dad. Yeah. You know? And yeah. It, okay. Yeah. And so it's, mm-hmm. well, I mean, and, in the first one though, like, is she looking for her dad? Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like in Hellraiser one, when she opens the box, that's the whole conceit. It's that, Oh, she doesn't actually want to go, but now they're kind of implying that, cause Pinhead can see when someone doesn't actually have interest. 
does she? Yeah, but how? It's, it, I like how that it direct, raises a question. How it direct does you know, the interest have to be? Is the curiosity to want to solve the box enough? Oh. Well, I to think, see what's inside the box. I think the visions she was having of you know, help me, I am in hell kind of push her in a in direction this, in, this well. one, in this one for but sure I'm talking about but the first Cleve one. Is talking about when she solves yeah. the box in the first one well yeah I'm, I'm saying like maybe during the first one she didn't want to as much and if she didn't want to as much then why did the Cenobites try to get her that's my point yeah because the in this one the Cenobites clearly show they are capable of <coughs> identifying when someone can't yeah that's my point true. so if they could do that why did they make a deal about it in the first one the answer has to be maybe she kind of did want to go Right or 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 just Pinhead missed some. Or missed it, maybe you know? maybe solving the puzzle box does always open the gate to hell. But it's desire that draws them that they want. So that's why they leave the girl alone. Because once they get there, they're like, ah, I sense desire. Let's go after that instead. Tastier meal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What are the rules? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> I'm not I'm not married to it. I just more, more like like the question of it, you know? Yeah, well, the thing is, like, look at the doctor and the girl. Like, the doctor is the one who had the desire, mm. you know? Maybe because Kirsty was in the same vicinity as someone who actually desired it. Because she opened the box, they still came. We're trying to make too much sense out of a very rushed mm-hmm. and sloppy narrative yeah, here. I'll say, I, I will take the plot hole for how cool that line is. That's my favorite line in the movie. Pinhead always has cool lines. He does. Doug Bradley sure delivers them well, too. Yep. I really <laughs> dug that line. <laughs> I really want to dig into the, the hell world a little bit more. Oh, well, I think yeah. one of the things that's most impressive in the making of this film is... Hellraiser 1 came out in 87, and this came out in 88. Oh, it came so out in 87? I thought it came out in 85. It was pretty rushed in its creation yeah, after okay. the runaway success of the first one. So they really didn't have a ton of time to, you know, make a terribly coherent <laughs> script or <laughs> anything like fine. that. But the thing that's impressive to me is, like, they really do so much more with the hell world yeah you know in this film and like that takes a lot of planning and it's clear that some of it was very uh nightmare on elm street inspired you know you have the the evil carnival and you know yes. kind uh, of uh, the doctor gets very quippy at times so, oh my god so <laughs> many like doctor related one-liners yeah. once he becomes a cenobite what's on the schedule today yeah. exanguination <laughs> you know kind of shit uh but also like i could barely hear half of them like he's he's got like a the weird audio, the audio in a lot of it is pretty poorly he mixed. gets yeah. out in the mix there's a few sequences in the film where like i uh another one is when they're the they're summoning the, the cenobites and uh, julia and uh, dr evil are like in the the back corner and and they're talking to each other like and the wind is clattering and things are exploding and you just can't tell what they're saying like i'm like do i have to it read doesn't, lips it doesn't it doesn't really have subtitles on it though. doesn't really matter though because as soon as they open the the gates to hell the movie stops having any story and it only has lore and world building and set yeah. pieces it basically yeah. just becomes like the an r-rated version of the labyrinth yeah, the map painting incorporation into the sets, uh, the just the '80s grain. It just it all felt like a horror version of Jim Henson's Labyrinth. It's and that rules. This movie has one of the most fun on-screen depictions of hell for me. 
because it is just like this sort of uh, M.C. Escher-esque non-Euclidean uh, labyrinth of corridors and chains and bullshit. What babe? Uh, the babe with the sewed mouth. <laughs> Yeah, and just, like, all of these, like, weird little set pieces that they wander into that's just like, yeah, whatever, hell's a labyrinth. It's got all kinds of shit in here, and it's just lorded over by a giant spinning prism. The Leviathan. The Leviathan, god of the labyrinth. Awesome. Yeah. What does it mean? Don't Don't ask questions. (laughs) It it do be up there spinning, though. Be up there spinning. It's like a reverse lighthouse. Because it's got like these like dark rays that it's like spinning. Yeah, when they pass yeah. over people, it does it like does the uh, like a film negative effect. Yeah, like it's like scanning and it's like them. yeah, it's like scanning their like worst memories yeah. and stuff. Almost like like Sauron, you it's know, cool. in Lord of the Rings. And again, like, it, it's so yeah, it's fucking nothing cool. really becomes of that. It just kind of like is a thing that's there, but it's cool. Yeah, well, I I really like that they don't explain it. Like, yeah. it's way more fun that way it, it excites the imagination um in the same way that the first one does right like the first one you do see a little bit of those hell corridors there's a weird there's a weird muppet like that chases after kirsty yeah um she I mean, she, she kind of like she goes down she, like one hall yeah she she and... wanders into hell a little bit and then is kind of like immediately bit and runs back out yeah um and in here we really wander into hell and we see but we're still left with as many questions and that rules they just yeah. they escalated it and uh, that's that's what you do. Well, one minor criticism I have of the Leviathans and the Cenobites in this film as well is it feels like they don't really do enough to be imposing. They kind of just stand there and yeah. say things. I, you know, I like that actually. Like they their motive is really fun, right? They're like, ah. Oh. You can't leave here. It's fucking hell. Like it, it, by the time that like Kirsty is like in there, in there, they're like, you're you're fucking trapped. Well, yeah, the first We've got time, all day. The first like, time she sees them, mm-hmm. their pinheads even like go on explore. You yeah, know, we've got plenty. He says we have eternity to experience your flesh. <laughs> yeah, like he he throws the hook past her head and then retracts it and says go on ahead and i love that it shows that like yeah they are so powerful that like they don't need to like chase after you they don't need to like run it run you down with a chainsaw or like you know do whatever quippy bullshit like they're 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 kind of lackadaisical and um is it as immediately like heart pumping and scary no but it's fun and and uh and same with the giant leviathan not knowing what it wants philosophically it's scarier but like physically or literally it is less scary but i like that well i'll definitely agree with you is when all of the cenobites get uh just their shit absolutely rocked by the one the evil doctor who becomes a cenobite that does kind of deflate them i kind of have a thought on that i think i i think you can kind of explain it away by saying that like right before that Kirsty has like reminded them of their humanity like reminded them which is such a a horror movie trope which makes them weaker you know i I, i've got it but it does it is kind of like then the doctor just comes in he's got his little hand snakes his little stop motion hand snakes and he literally just like shoots them at the Cenobites and they well, die. That's it one of the reasons weird. I'm not too bothered by it because while the Cenobites aren't that imposing in that this movie, like the Doctor is very imposing, yeah. Yeah, and you have a scary. you have a sort of big bad that kind of. T- 
ties it all together. And I, I do actually really like the reminding them of their humanity bit. You know, even though it's kind of tropey mm. to to slasher flicks, um, I do like how they're all revealed as they to, die. Yeah. yeah, to be they're revealed humans. To their human yeah, forms. Yeah, and you can see the like chatterer as a kid. That was fucked up. Yeah, that's really fucked, fucked up. up. What, what doesn't really make sense is why in just that scene the chatterer has eyes for some reason because he doesn't earlier in the movie. I, I said and it just in the when film. he shows up in that scene, all of a sudden he has eyes. It is weird that because like earlier in the film he's standard chatterer without eyeballs or like tiny eye holes, um, but in here like he's got eye eyes. So. Yeah. Like, okay, so production-wise, what probably happened is, like, the mask broke or some shit, and they had to remake it or whatever. But lore-wise, like, I think you could explain it away as just, like, look, they're flesh warpers. They, they right. warp flesh all the time. He's trying some new... He's trying a new vibe, you <laughs> he's know? He's the only one who looks different, <laughs> He's though, still which chattering. Is it's a little weird. It is. Like, if they'd all had, like, a slight costume change... His head is, like, narrower, too. It's more, like, elongated, and it's yeah. got, he's got, like, these weird little eyes. Almost Pinhead Star Wars. tries a fedora. <laughs> <laughs> But it doesn't really mix up. But does it, it, does it, it just sit on pins? top yeah, of, yeah. of the pins, or is it pinned in? Does he pin the fedora? A lot of Butter, questions. Butterball trades his his Morpheus sunglasses for a big pair of Elton John sunglasses. <laughs> Star shaped sunglasses. Yeah. He's just wearing like turkeys on his feet. A female centipedes going for like a Joan Jet look. Like yeah, they're all they're all trying just to yeah, she mullet. Has, she has hair now. She has hair now. Yeah, she's doing a little bit of a Stevie Nicks thing she's got a shawl oh nice <laughs> yeah very good i love it um yeah so you can kind of explain that one but i want to i want to explain why the other guy is so powerful here's my eso- esoteric take right because if there's one thing i could do on this podcast i've seen enough star trek there's one thing i could do on this podcast it's try and explain away esoteric bullshit um because it brings me joy uh right so here's my thought the, the first centibite stones we see in the first movie that are going around they are they seem like they might have like been people who just happened to solve lament configuration and were curious but weren't wholly evil because like we're we're shown that they're reminded their humanity and again for like fuck's sake chatterer is a child so what went happened what what went happened there what went happened what went happened there Uh, well at the very beginning we do see pinhead in his human form uh as like the old uh, World War One British officer or whatever solving the mm-hmm. limit configuration. We see his transformation. That's a pretty cool that. scene, by the yeah. way. It was great. What perfect way to set up the movie? Like you get Pyramid Head's origin, or Pyramid Head, Pinhead's origin in like two shots, and that's all you need. You know? Yeah. Um, you just, it's just it's already to, almost it's just too much. So you see that he was human before, and then later when Kirsty's like looking through the doctor's like office, she finds like the photograph of him. You know, which Look she at then this gives to photograph. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so okay we see that we see that mm-hmm. they're they have uh levels of humanity right but the doctor he's pretty fucked up he's already kind he's of most powerful because he's he's, na- he's naturally evil like on earth like in his like just in his human life he's basically already a practicing cenobite he's a sadist you know? he could yeah exactly he doesn't 
Because at first you think, okay, maybe he handed the guy the razor blade so it's like he does it himself or whatever, and he's just letting nature take it, take its course. But it's like, no. Well, the first time we're introduced to him, he's like giving a monologue while like yeah. drilling into some woman's brain. Mm-hmm. I was saying too, it sounds a lot like like one of the inductor's speeches, and it stares back that like you know we've done. Um, you know, it's like at the like the posh British accent, yeah. and he's like operating on someone. It's just it's all very my wheelhouse. Uh, is it is it like powerfully corny like? Yeah, because he's like a doctor. It doesn't really make sense, like why he'd be doing like such an evil monologue while he's working on something. He's talking about the labyrinth of the mind. Yes. It's, it's the like labyrinth who, of the mind. Like to become a it's doctor, like, you have to do a lot of interviews with a lot mm. of different people. Yeah, you think at some point would somebody would hear this guy talking and be like, mm, maybe we shouldn't put him in charge of the health yeah. and safety of a bunch of people. Yeah, maybe. Do we uh, have enough medical malpractice <laughs> insurance, guys? <laughs> Call the, call the insurance company. Get the high, get the highest, the highest package. <laughs> That's what Randall really cared about. Or Rudolph, what's his name? Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> anyway, I so love how Julie, early, I love, I love how early off they kill Kyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw that to go. in there because yeah, uh, they kind of set him up as like a all like kind of maybe a love interest for Kirsty, and it's like, oh, is he gonna go to hell with her? And they're yeah, gonna kind of, help kind each of an other. eye roll moment. No, but then it's like he walks in and like Julia comes upon him, but she's all covered in skin now, so he doesn't recognize her so for then, a little bit, and she macks him to death, and she macks him to death. Yeah, if I gotta go. Anyway, the uh, anyway, um, uh, so it is then also revealed that Julia, unlike Frank, she was sent back willingly mm. uh, with a motive. Uh, I, I like how she, she serves says, the Leviathan. She serves the Leviathan, and so and then she brings the the doctor, and she puts him in a cube or whatever, and he becomes like this new weird, extra weird Cenobite. And so I think that essentially, like she was sent back to the human world because leviathan like was like doing its scanning and it like pinpointed I mean, him even, as like the perfect says, yeah, i want my, you know i i got sent back for more souls leviathan wants more souls yeah. and it's like yeah the leviathan is grown and it, it's it's better able to like pick out better people or whatever for its cause and you know now it wants someone who's like a little bit more full-on cenobite to turn into a cenobite and so they find this like perfect specimen for it. So it, it makes sense to me that he'd be more powerful, especially because sure. they're already in a moment of weakness in that scene. I will say that this whole deal wouldn't have even been an issue if like the Cenobites had like fought back at least some capacity. I mean, all well, I mean, Pinhead all, does his chains. Pinhead but, does his chains thing, but he can't really do anything other than that. And, you know, oh, the, wow. the the book, he sure does. Yeah. Well, in, in uh, what's it called? The Scarlet Scriptures or whatever. The Scarlet Gospels. Yeah, that one. I've read it. Uh, the, <laughs> you know, like Pinhead, like basically fights Satan by the yeah, end. But so. in the, I mean, in these movies, you know, Pinhead is always kind of a is kind of a passive observer. You know, there's always there's always other monsters. And then, you know, maybe he gets some chain action in. But that's all he really does. This, I think this, the Scarlet Scriptures is a better name. It, it's got a it's an alliteration okay well let's get clive barker on the phone and yeah. see what he maybe, thinks. maybe actually the alliteration makes it corny maybe clive, clive barker's probably right i shouldn't i shouldn't tell clive barker how to do his job he's he's very good at it he is except for i mean it does get a little weird okay it's a weird book no but pinhead's chain thing in ends up not doing anything because mm-hmm. uh the doctor's little hand snakes grow scalpels that just Let's talk chop, about chop the chain. Let's talk about that. 
the little hand snakes. Yeah, let's talk about those. They have hands. a lot they're of so, utility. They're so Literally, extra. Yeah. They're, they're like, so extra. They're Swiss Army snakes. Yeah, got a little finger come out to wave. I love the that. girl. He has fingers. Yeah, he has. He has <laughs> full on hands. He they came out. In. He had a finger. He had a finger snake come out of his finger. To just have to a finger come out. Yeah. Well, I love, I love it's fingers, later. It's fingies on fingies. I love later on when he's like awesome. about to kill Kirsty uh, when they're out in the labyrinth, and uh, he like one of the snakes opens up and it's like a, a flower of blades, and then like a spike comes out of it, and then that spike unfolds and has like four blades, and then it gets longer, and then the end opens up, and then and it starts unfolds, spinning, and then it starts spinning. It's like so fucking extra. Yeah. It's so funny. So right. there's an anime. That I watched years ago, I cannot confirm or deny whether it is good. It was uh, too long ago to remember the quality of it, but there were some really cool moments in it. I might have, I think I brought it up in this podcast before. I might have even brought it up last time we talked about Hellraiser, but it's called Speed Grapher. Weird name. It's an anime. Comes to the territory. But uh, long story short, it is essentially like a combination of X Men and Eyes Wide Shut, where people have superpowers, but their their powers are based on whatever their fucked up kinks are. So the main character is a photojournalist, and when he gets like the the disease or whatever, it makes it so anything he photographs explodes because he's a voyeur, and like it it's awesome. Look, look, it's it's legitimate. It, it, buck wild, worth it just for that. But like it, it has some other things that are like fucking weird. But like there's a there's like a bondage guy who's basically Mister Fantastic. There's one character who's like really into smells too much, so they wear an eye patch over their nose. Um, That's not how that works. So that they can like bloodhound people. They're really. Good good one is uh there is a masochistic dentist kind of like steve martin in uh, uh little shop in little horrors. shop of yeah. horrors there's a masochistic dentist um and he just straight up becomes like a scalpel spider it's cool because like, he's first operating on somebody and like arms come out of his back and they have like scalpels and then blades on blades on rotating blades and his mouth like contorts and it's just more blades. Really fun idea. And it reminded me of that. I feel like there might have been some some definitely some inspiration because like, again, it's like it's like bondage superpowers. So like it and Hellraiser kind of go hand in hand. The Dr. Cenobite, uh, uh, in addition to the hand snakes, he he doesn't walk around like Pinhead and the other Cenobites do. Oh no, he is uh, sort of carried around by just a big fleshy cock tentacle that is drilled into the back of his head yeah. and just sort of like dangles him around the claw uh, that that is some of that is some of the goofier looking shit in the movie oh, to yeah, me in so a way that good. i think is really funny it's my favorite it's just well, like yeah. him just like dangling around he's using it like it's the leviathan he's using him as a conduit yeah and he's such a campy character like with all the one-liners it really ties together like yeah. the camp of the second half of the film in a great way. It, it, it's almost salvaged. It's like brought just back from the line because largely because you can't hear half of his one liners over just the, <laughs> you know, like noises yeah. and like wind blowing and things exploding. Um, and just very, music. very quietly. There's some sort of contorted British voice saying something, um, which is nice. Also, uh, his contorted voice, I found to be legitimately unsettling, like his like weird drawn out laugh. That's kind of reverberative. <laughs> 
like it's because it, he's got a drill spinning in, in his, his head. head. Yeah, and you can hear it like in the in the audio. Because like is when cool. he first comes out of the box, when he's been turned into a Cenobite, we see like the big tentacle come up behind him, and it like opens up, and there's like a little brain drill, and it just goes into the back of his head and clamps down, and he's just like, and it's like you, you get the vibe, yeah, that like he's like he's basically like just constantly orgasming, it's like a wind up, yeah, yeah <laughs> like just getting it's off like a wind up toy on 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 constant brain pain man the way he dies is so funny too like he 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 just fucking kills himself because literally all he does is he tries to shoot his his little tentacle snakes at kirsty and she kind of steps back and they get stuck in the ground <laughs> and then like the tentacle is trying to pull him away but the, the the hand snakes are stuck to the ground so then it just rips his head in half and yeah then, that's it. So he's here, dead. I have another esoteric explanation for this. She's solving the box at that time, and she's basically solved it. And it's that the the Leviathan has like lost its power because it's using him as a conduit, you know, with a big arm, and it's like lost a portion of its power, and so it sort of lo- loses control of him at that time, and like that's why it's like a malfunction in the machine. Mm, sure. It is kind of anticlimactic, though. It. Like it, it, he just kind of he just kind of does himself yeah. <laughs> there for sure. Well, it's one it's of those things funny, where though. it's like it's one of those things where it's like he is like an all powerful pain demigod. So like, what are mere mortals gonna do to stop yeah. him? Like you're you're <laughs> without making him just seem like super weak. Like oh. the the it kind of only leads for like it, he can only do himself in right. It's like the Minotaur like charging at Theseus just to like trip up on its own legs and gore itself on its horn you know like it's such a it's just really anticlimactic it is it for sure is but it rules like it's funny to me uh well i mean the same thing kind of happens to julia too right like there she's coming after kirsty and and the girl and then all of a sudden one of the tunnels just like starts like suck it suck in just like just a, a vortex of wind and uh they're all like hanging on and uh then like her skin suit rips and it just pulls her body out and just leaves behind the skin which in fairness does end up having a payoff it looks good because because kirsty puts it puts julia's skin on later to distract uh i loved that yeah well it's a great reveal because it's like you don't know it we don't see her like putting it on or anything it's just like julia shows back up it's like oh well guess she got her skin back and then she's like it's so it's so esoteric you just buy it and then she and the the doctor cenobite make out for like 10 minutes uh so so the girl do don't they well yeah just they're just like just macking just tonguing because Mm -hmm. it gives it gives uh tiffany the time to solve the the new puzzle that's no longer a it's not a box anymore now it's the shape of leviathan it's like a big spiky prism and it's like yeah she just has time to solve that and turn it back into the regular lament configuration while they're kissing and it's like the lament kiss figuration kiss figuration right um and then after the doctor dies like uh uh Tiffany falls off the edge and, you know, we see Julia go over and she's like reaching down to grab her and she says, trust me. It's like, why should I trust you, bitch? You're an evil bitch. But then she does and the, the her, her arm skin peels off. It's like, oh, no, not again. 
but then when she pulls her up, we see that there's a regular, there's more skin under the skin, and then she takes her face off, and oh, it's Kirsty. Face off. Face off. Which is cool because I mean, okay, dumb that Kirsty could have just said at any time, "Hi, it's me, Kirsty." Hey, it's me, Kirsty. But I'm I mean, wearing this skin it's, suit. It's for the audience. Like it's you want to have the reveal. You want to see the reveal. You want to hear like, the reveal. That means that it was Kirsty who was making out with the the doctor yeah. in order to to give Tiffany the time to solve the puzzle. Box. The ultimate like, sacrifice. That's like a that's a pretty heroic sacrifice. Yeah. Like she had to tongue that dude down for like ten straight minutes. Or she wanted to be there. I'm just saying. Now I'm not I shouldn't Desire. project on the people. I shouldn't Desire. you know it's bad form to say, you know, like she was wearing the dress or whatever, you know, like it's 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 not it's not cool to do that and project on people. If she didn't want to get tongued down by an evil Cenobite doctor, then she shouldn't have worn the discarded skin of her evil stepmother. Right? You know, like call call it victim blaming. Pleasure and pain, what's the difference? (laughs) I certainly don't know anymore. Uh but yeah, I, I like it because there's sort of a cool reclaiming in that where uh Chester, what's her name? Kirsty. Kirsty. Um, Chester. <laughs> Kirsty is like, <laughs> like, as in cheetah. Yeah, Chester cheetah. <laughs> I was just, I don't know, man. My brain is just, I, I, I'm clawing. You know, I don't know. Dangerously my, cheesy. I read a couple of loose synapses. I was just like, what's? It's like the male equivalent. I don't know, but. Uh, uh, How is Chester the male equivalent of Kirsty? <laughs> what is? What is? Christian. Uh, oh, yeah, you're Damn, right. Yeah, that's thank a good you. one. We learned something tonight, boys. Anyway, <laughs> the there's a reclaiming in it because uh, her uncle, Frank. Frank. There we go. It. I got that one. I almost said Randolph. Uh, her uncle, Frank. <laughs> uncle Randolph. <laughs> Look, man, I I have inherited my dad's disease where he just like picks words for things and like has and and his brain just rewrites them as that word now. And he's like, oh, what's the what's the name of that show? Uh, uh, Rick and Mortimer. What is it? It's like, no, it's Rick and Morty. And then like a week later, he's like, yeah, let's watch Rick and Mortimer. It's like, yo, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm just I'm becoming my dad. I'm just doing the same thing now. But anyway, so her uncle Frank wears her dad's skin. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, to her end. And now she's wearing Julia's skin, like as a way to win the day. And that's cool. Like yeah. she uses the, the villain's tactic in a in a way to like get, get the better on like the, the monsters. It rhymes. It's like poetry, it rhymes. Uh, speaking of George Lucas, we do he does have a cameo in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was one of the movers at the end. Yeah, one of the movers at the end of the house. Once they leave hell and escape, one of the other movers who isn't George Lucas, like, looks at the bed, and sure enough, I was like, oh, yeah, give him the hands, and sure enough, hands come out and grab his arm, and then George Lucas comes up the stairs, and he's like, oh, shit, it's like poetry rhymes. And he just sees disembodied legs of his co-worker coming out of the mattress. That was really good. It's just his legs. And then the obelisk. Yeah, just coming up out of nowhere. The obelisk looks so silly. It's so funny. It's just like a big spinning rectangle that just like has like Pinhead's face on it. Just loaded down in puppetry. It's got that. It's got Pinhead's face. It's got the doctor's face. It's got the the little baby with its mouth sewn shut that we see in the carnival earlier uh and a tiny humping skeleton uh, yep yeah. little skeletons humping it's just like what is we need one single object that sums up the entire rest of this movie 
Here it is. And it just spins. And it also has the face of the of the homeless guy from the first one who who yeah. turned into the In the, the book he's the well, architect the, the devil bad. The end. Yeah. You know, it's the last yes. uh, line of dialogue we get. What is your pleasure, sir? Yeah. <laughs> well, we should also like we we did jump ahead to the very end, but after uh, I, I do want to mention after Tiffany solves the puzzle and turns the 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 pointy back into the box, uh, and Leviathan starts folding up into the box too as they're running out. But for some reason, it's just blasting lasers. Beep, 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 and they're going like, and, yeah, yeah, and they're like running down the hall and like they're flying by. It's like the fucking, it, it's like Star Wars. Fucking stormtrooper yeah. aim on those lasers. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, none of them hit, there's so many of them and none of them hit Kersey or Tiffany, but we see them flying out the door and like destroying everything in the room beyond, but somehow none of them hit Kersey or Tiffany. They're protected they're just, by the light of, beep, of Christ. Beep, 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 beep. That's right. Mm, That's yeah. true. Yeah. Because Christ is the true winner in these movies. Well, yeah, when you uh, when you turn the, the pointy back into the box, um, then you free Christ's spirit to yeah. deliver you from hell. Yeah. Everyone knows this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Praise be. It's implied. It's in the subtext. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's be a lot of subtext to this movie. There so. is. Yes. Um, a lot of it's Christian. <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> Too well, long. yeah, I mean, the movie's called Hellbound. Where there's hell. It's a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. About what being horny gets you. That's right. <laughs> better watch out. Terminally horny. Mm-hmm. Damn. I better so, watch out. So I think for these sequels, I want to ask you guys two questions All right. for each one. Go for it. First, is it better than the original? Does it hold up to the original? <sighs> it's, no. so, it's so different. It it's definitely not better. It's definitely not a I better agree. film than the original. No, the first one was like legitimate, like quality front to like like yes. front to back, absolutely Qual- like, quality narrative, mm-hmm. just quality across the board. This one's really messy and convoluted. But there, there really, wasn't a bad practical really, in the first one, but really fun. Yeah, it's all mm-hmm. really over the top. So you know, like I think it's I think it's as enjoyable as the first one, just in a, in a different way. So I watched Castle Freak this weekend, and this movie struck me as what Full Moon would do if Charlie Band was willing to put a budget into a movie. This yeah, is I could see that. It's there's just something about the feeling of it. Like it hits a lot of the same themes as like Castle Freak or Puppet Master or you know any of the like those like full moon movies, but it's it just has so much more, you know, to it. But like what I'll what I'll give like the, the full moon movies is like like even on like their low low budgets like there, there, there's like fun care put into the, like the artistry. Like it's cheap, but like there's still like care put into it. Um, and like here, it's that, but just on a much grander scale, which it makes it more like R-rated Jim Henson ask. But like if if it, there was a budget, you know, to some of those movies, I would feel it would look kind of like this. It wouldn't be this well written though. That's a testament because yeah. oh man, those Puppet Master movies, like they retcon themselves like in the middle of not even one movie to the next, like within the course of one movie, like it retcons itself. It's incredible. But the writing is kind of loose in this one. One more plot hole. Forgive. Uh, just one more plot hole. There's a weird time continuity thing where Kirsty is in the mental institution. She's visited by the doctor, and she, she gives the exposition about the mattress. The doctor goes to the mattress and does that revival thing, and the other doctor watches it. Good doctor Kyle immediately goes back to Kirsty and says, hey, get your coat. 
we need to go. And in between all of that, there's a very long montage of Julie being fed people. And it's like, were those people already there? I guess they're the people in the boiler room. But like, how long did that take or whatever? Because Kyle goes straight from that place, from the, the institution to the house. There is little delay there, but over, but it implies that Julie has been like fucking sucking the life out of tons of people and that they've been at this for a while. So like, there's a weird I time mean, continuity. Kirsty tells her the whole story to the doctor. So he knows the process of reviving somebody. He knows that they require multiple people to like absorb their life force so they can be brought back. So presumably when he began the ritual he just already had all of these people that's the whole point of him having the the whole the maggot dude yeah so presumably he just had other people because he knew one wouldn't be enough also kyle didn't have the car so he was just walking (laughs) there we go yeah he took a nap he went home you know took a took a little stop at shoney's or something and had dinner i will say to circle back i think this movie definitely like you guys said doesn't hold up to the first one but it is fun and campier you know and i i will give it its props and oh absolutely you can can hold them Um, like literally as the term goes yes i agree it doesn't hold up to the other one but like you also like just to kind of carry the metaphor a little bit like you can absolutely hold them next to each other and have a good time like um Uh, and again, like the first one doesn't have those crazy matte paintings. Like the scope is so much more grand in this one. It's just, it shoots a lot more and it also misses more, but it has hits too. Yeah. And the hits fucking, it has as many I mean, hits. I think this one's, a, I think this one's a great sequel to the first one. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, went. it's, it's grander. It's more over the top. Yeah. So the second question I have for you guys, do you think you need to see the, the first one to see this one? Yeah, or do you think it stands on its own? I mean, uh, I would, I would. Uh, I... Technically, technically, no, because this movie does have between the two scenes, it has a full recap of the first movie. So I think you can watch this one and know enough of what happened in the first one to know what's going on. Especially because by the time you're halfway through the movie, narrative is out the window. Who fucking mm-hmm. cares? I think you're missing out if you don't see the first one. I think it's a, it's a dumb chronological think, way to watch them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, you I think should see it. I mean, the but first one is the best. To. Like yeah. the first one is the best and it's the first. So yep. watch it first. It's the original. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I do think that you can watch this one without having seen the first one and a not be lost and b still have a good time. Yeah. Mm <laughs> hmm. The first one is a masterpiece, and you should just watch it anyway, but you don't necessarily need the context in order to get something. The sure enhances everything. Like, I, like, when she goes to see Frank, like, that whole scene is, like, loaded down with all the context of the previous movie. Yeah, I mean, they have the flashback for a little bit of context of that. Yeah. And the but desire I, for her to, like, help I, her dad I, I and all that is, I wonder like, if people would like this one more if they hadn't seen the original. Maybe too damn Because confused. the campiness wouldn't be kind of compared to like Mm. the the quality of the first as much but who knows i don't know it's hard to say i of course saw the first one before i saw this one so i i did not watch this one devoid of of context thanks to y'all same i have a Um, question sure so how do y'all feel about the fact that 
they're doing not one but two remake remakes simultaneously of Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Yeah. Uh, At least I on mean, paper, as of I this hope time, it doesn't fall into the the sort of requel camp because HBO and Hulu are both doing a Hellraiser series. One of them's a movie, movie. And one, one of them's, them's a series. series. Yeah, I really hope it, it really depends on their approach, right? Like if they're just kind of retreading the first one but modernize, or if it's like Kirsty's kid or something stupid yeah. like that. <sighs> I'm not here for it. But if they just do a new story with Cenobites, sure. Is is the actress who plays Kirsty in any of the other movies? I think she might be in three. I want to say she's in three. Yeah. I, I think she's in three, but after that, the franchise abandons her. Because I wouldn't be against that actress coming back in some capacity. Like, she's But you'd have to do it right. She's in Hellraiser Hellseeker, too. I can't remember which one that one is. Hellseeker is like five or six. Yeah, that makes sense. I haven't seen her in too many other films. I wouldn't be surprised if she'd like try to come back. But um, I, don't know, maybe I really like her acting. I, I, I think I think she's pretty great in these movies. Like, uh, Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think she's good, too. She's a great 80s protagonist. I think, I think there's a lot of room for it. I'm just, once again, I'm just very excited about... Uh, the casting for uh, Pinhead and the Hulu one in particular being, uh, oh God, I can't remember her name. I will say. She's I, in Sense8 and a few other things. I, and she's she's I fucking great. I don't have a whole lot of faith in uh, Hulu original anything. Yeah, the budget, yeah. it can't be that big, right? I, yeah. yeah. Which has me thinking they're they're going to do Is, almost. HBO's doing the series? Yeah, yes. and it's produced by David Gordon Crean. That I which, have. Uh, that I have more generally more faith in, just because. I'm sure the H- effects will be cool. H- at least HBO tends to to be quality programming. Watch the monkey paw is gonna curl on us. Yeah. And all the Cenobites are gonna get Joss Whedon dialogue. Oh, oh god! Gonna be like so. Yeah, that okay, let's, happened. Yeah. What is? Uh, here, here we go. <laughs> what is? What is the worst thing that they can do? What are the worst things? I think that's pretty close to it already. Like, yeah, like giving the Cenobites that sort of dialogue. I have a feeling they're going to make it generally less horny, uh, which I think is not a great approach for Hellraiser. I think a lot of the best things about Hellraiser is... BSDM demons. BSDemons. Is the horniness, and they just... Even on something like HBO, they just don't make shit as horny as they did in the 80s well you know game of thrones and it's yeah. hbo like hbo like has like you know like a lot more treatments for full-on HBO sex scenes can, and stuff and hbo can make it horny but yeah they have will, the power but will they i hope so will but I, I agree like thing. yeah like what, wouldn't that be a huge missed opportunity it's like you're doing a hellraiser series on hbo and you don't get horny with it gotta get horny you with gotta it. get horny with it so yeah that would be a huge disappointment it. um I'm excited because they have that dragon money, so, like, the special effects are probably going to be pretty dope in the series one. Mm. So I'm hoping the series, like, goes ham with hell and horny. I mean, I sure... I You uh, know, between, let's go to hell again. I want to see hell... I want to see, like, this kind of hell with, like, a modern budget. Between like, an HBO production and a Hulu production, I know which one I have considerably more faith in. You know, see, here's what I'm on hoping, the flip though. side, though, the Hulu movie... Is directed by David Bruckner. Right. The Nighthouse guy. This is true. Right. This is true. Who fucking rules. We all love the Nighthouse. This is true. We all love the Nighthouse. And I love the casting for this coming up. And you don't need a massive budget if you're keeping it mostly on Earth, which, let's be real, if you want to keep the writing good, 
That's probably where you should keep it. You don't need to go crazy with hell if you don't have the budget for it. And frankly, one one of the things that makes one great is the mystery of it. We only see like a short corridor of hell and then the rest is left to our imagination. And like the, the greater goals and all the rest of the Cenobites is shadowy at best. And that works. I mean, it works really well in the honestly, first movie. And if I we can, stick to that, like fucking awesome. If he does some of the same kind of stuff that he did in the night house, I, know, right? I think there's certain as there's certain aspects of the night house that feel very much like Hellraiser. That doesn't take a huge budget, mm-hmm. you know? No, I mean, it that's, doesn't. So that's where like, it, it, really, I'm not worried about the budget. I think Ben brings up a really good point and like, that could be really fucking good. So how cool would it be? It's not the monkey paws curling for sure. But like, how cool would it be if they were both rad? Right. That would be cool. Yeah. That'd be neat. I mean, well, it's it's cool that we're getting two shots, right? Like, because yeah. here's the thing: I uh, I used to it's be a little, little more cynical, and I'd doing... be like, "Oh, I wish they weren't doing two. But now it's like, "Hey, if one's bad, like maybe the, the other one isn't." It does. It does. It's gonna be a bummer if they're both bad. Doubles <laughs> the odds for one of them for us to get a good Hellraiser, uh, a good modern Hellraiser. Yeah, I want to say Clive Barker is writing one of them. I think the show. I want to say, which but I don't know for sure. That would be that would be big if true. Um, I don't know, man. There I know we had some statements about there like has getting... not there has not been a good Hellraiser anything since this movie. Well, should we just rate it? Yeah, yeah. It's at time. this point, um, you picked it. Go ahead and start. Please. Yeah, you know, it's it's from from a technical perspective, it's certainly a far from perfect movie. Uh, it does have a really messy story and some just like really uh goofy campy shit but it's really really fun it's gorier than the first hellraiser somehow it's just it's just hellraiser but bigger hellraiser but more is it less grounded yes but do i still love it yes i'm gonna give it a strong four and a half out of five nice uh yeah for me i think uh, this movie is really narratively sloppy and all over the place, borderline incoherent. But I will say the second half of this movie bangs. Like uh, it's so much fun seeing all the kind of fantasy horror set pieces and the the creatures and all of the practical effects and matte paintings are great. And it's a ton of fun. It's you know more campy than the the first, which is great. I don't think it holds up to the first one by any no. means, but it is a fun movie and it's certainly better than any of the ones after two. Um, I'm going to give it a strong three and a half out of five. Right on. Um, yeah, I'm off of the shoulders of the previous one. I think that I'm going to let that kind of carry the score a little bit. Um, no, I think it'd be silly to go to five, uh, but it's I think a, a four point five is is just fine. It's a delight when it's on. It's legitimately on. It's really fun and cool and esoteric in all the best ways. And when it's off, it's campy and hilarious. So it's it's really a win win. I, I I didn't there were, I was never bored. I was always having a good time with this film one way or the other. So I would I would largely recommend it. When well, it's on, it's on. That'll give Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, an average of 4.2 out of 5. Um, next week, it's uh, it's time for uh, oh, yeah, our, our, our second new film of the year, the fucking Texas Chainsaw requel. It's number two Ruin. in the year of the squeakquel. The, the, Net, the Netflix uh, Texas Chainsaw movie is coming out, and uh, ooh. Uh, it sure doesn't look good. Yeah. Uh, it sure doesn't look good. 
so I've seen, I saw the original teaser and I thought, you know, not really enough to tell. I don't know. And then I have not seen this new trailer, but you guys are telling me some pretty yikesy stuff it, it is going looks on. Rough. They yeah. can't. They cancel Leatherface. Yeah, Leatherface is canceled. What is it you said? Like he, he's like he walks into a room and a bunch of people are filming him and they like on their phones and they say like if you do anything, if you, yeah, if you try anything, uh, try anything and you're canceled, buddy. And then he, he kills all pulls of his, chainsaw. his chainsaw. Yeah. So yeah, that's awful. Uh, the only Leatherface, Leatherface is cutting up cancel culture. Let me tell you something. The only thing that could like forgive that is if it's a prank and it's not in the movie. That is the only <laughs> like, It's like, hey, we got you. You thought we were gonna be doing Halloween, it's actually good. That would that would be amazing. It's not happening. Like there's no reality where like I, they would get away with it. Leatherface is gonna take a hard line stance against cancel oh, culture. He's gonna say the word. He's gonna say the the word. Yeah, yeah. the Joe Rogan word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the hard Rogan. The hard the hard <laughs> 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 Jamie, can we get that up on the screen? We, uh, young yeah, Jamie. Young Jamie, can we pull up the hard Rogan? <laughs> uh, I, I think this is going to be uh, an interesting conversation uh, coming so shortly after the new Scream movie. Uh, you know, which was itself a sort of commentary on soft reboots, requels, mm-hmm. as they call them. <laughs> and that is what this movie looks like. Yeah. Uh, it looks, it, I would not be surprised if this movie does just about everything that Scream 5 uh, satirized. What? So Man, it'll yeah. be it'll be fun to see. What I'm if expecting it's gr- this to suck shit. What if it's great and we're all just gonna eat our words? I'm, hey, dude, I hope that happens. I know, I'm right? Always, yeah. I'm <laughs> always happy to eat my words when I expect something to be shitty and absolutely it goes same. to be great. Yeah. I'm always happy to do that. Malignant, <laughs> Army of the Dead, last year. Yeah, we've had a number of those this I, year. I, like I, last year. I fucking ate my words with mustard on both of those movies, and I was happy for it. So I'm I go into this saying that, hey, prove me wrong, prove me wrong. I will humbly heap some relish onto those words and eat them with a spoon. Hell yeah, the odds are but are not got, looking gotta, good. But you got to prove me wrong first. <laughs> yeah, the odds are looking good. Um, so come back next week to see old an, an tired old, leather an old <laughs> tired Leatherface get canceled by the internet and try and then, not to break a hip like and, then, a, and then by us. He's a monster. Like like those movies never had yeah they were Leatherface was never a metaphor. No, he's just a monster. He's like, a metaphor for child abuse. I will say the one slightly promising bit of that trailer is we got to see some of the family. Yeah. So they're not completely abandoning that, thankfully. That shot of Leatherface poking his head out of the field of dead sunflowers. (laughs) So funny. Uh, Anyway, next week will be the new Texas Chainsaw. Now it's time for a sponsor. So it is. We do those around here. Man, it, it can't be as bad as the last one. <laughs> they gave us so much money. Uh, I They better have. I Man, I'm telling you. Um, mm. The sponsor, though, sponsor goes down easy. The sponsor goes down like a good hot soup. You know why? Because that's the sponsor this week. The sponsor is that good hot soup. You looking for hot soup? Well, we got that good hot soup. It's here. It's warm. And it's for you. Is it good? And hot soup. Soup. <laughs> good hot soup. That good hot soup. Get it in local stores near you. All right. All right. <laughs> that that does it for us. 
for this episode. If you like the show, leave us a rating, a five-star rating, and a review, a nice one, or a mean one. As long as it comes with a five-star rating, we don't care what the words say. We care what the words say, but... we All we care about the words in your heart. If they're good words, we care. If they're good words. And are you constructively bad is okay, too. We'll, we'll take it. If they're bad words... You know, we, we're always so happy to learn. If they're bad words, that's okay, too, as long as they're not that hard Rogan word. Yeah, don't say that, Don't, nerd. don't do that. Yeah, yeah don't, don't... Don't use that they word. They don't even mm. need to be real words when you think Salad about it. Words, Just, yeah. Uh, throw in a bunch of uh, random G- characters. Scringle Frombolop. Uh, five stars. Five stars. I'll take that's, it, baby. That's the point. Five stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon with five dollars you can do that or more today or less stores near you be your dreams <laughs> uh at patreon.com slash pod people pod near you follow us on a twitter near you at pod people pod and at a letterbox near you so near it's right behind you letterbox.com slash pod people pod that's where a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes are are or is is I kind of forget the tense by the time I do a sentence that long. This is pretty tense. I'm scared. Speaking of <laughs> of being tense, if you want to be extremely tense <laughs> at all times, <laughs> you can read my tweets and follow me at some spooky snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And depending on the tense, I'm at, am, is, and was on Twitter uh, under LightArc Studio, okay, kind of rarely these days, uh, tweeting for it stares back. Man, many are the 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 cat in the roost. You just did this incredible stretch flip, amazing shit. You should have been here, folks. Uh, and uh, yeah, tweeted for LightArc Studios. We put out progress on it stares back. You can also see my work on dreadxp.com. Um, and as of the time this is going up, hopefully we should have Sucker for Love merch. You can get a cool T-shirt or poster. Man, I hope it's up by then. We've been working real hard on getting it up by then. Uh, so go check that out. Uh, go check out Sucker for Love, of course. And uh, stay tuned for the My Friendly Neighborhood demo that'll be coming out pretty soon, too. Um, all sorts of fucking awesome stuff to check out uh, over at Dread XP, where I do cool art for them and do QA testing and other fun shit. So it's a, it's a cool studio. You should go give them some support. Give them some love. That's it for me. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Keep getting bound to you know it now. When a real nigga hold you down, you supposed to drown. Bound. Bound. Uh-huh, honey. What you doing in the club on a Thursday? She said she only here for a girl birthday. They order champagne but still look thirsty. Rock forever 21 but just turned 30. I know I got a bad reputation. Walk around always mad reputation. Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, bad reputation. I turned the nightclub bad at a basement. I turned the plane around, your ass keep complaining. How you gonna be mad on vacation? Ducking one around all these Jamaicans. Uh, this that prom shit. This that what we do, don't tell your mom shit. This that red cup all on the lawn shit. Get a fresh cut straight out the salon, bitch. I know you're